listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 22nd of November 2022. Later, investors still worried about China, even though the market closed higher. But first, let's talk wine, in particular Prosecco. And just like champagne winemakers in the French region have a monopoly on that name, Champagne, Italy is seeking exclusive rights over Prosecco. So Australian wine producers have taken their case to Canberra as free trade discussions with the EU continue. For more, I spoke earlier with Lee McLean. He is the CEO of Australian Grape and Wine. Lee, so the Prosecco name is under threat. Just to set the scene, can you give us a bit of a background on how the name is currently used? Yeah, I certainly can. So the name Prosecco is a grape variety, just like Shiraz or Chardonnay is. And in 2009, uh, the Italian government decided to change uh, a region of Italy into uh, a, a geographical indication, and they named that region Prosecco, and they changed the grape variety name to Glera, which is a name that uh, really wasn't ever used in Prosecco or in that region before. So. This is, a, this is a major issue for us. A number of Australian pr- producers uh, growing Prosecco had invested huge amounts of money in not only the grapevines, but the production facilities and the tourism that goes along with it uh, well before Italy made this decision. And since Italy had made that decision in 2009, they've gone out of their way to try to pick off markets one by one uh, to ban producers and consumers from being able to use Prosecco on their labels in any other, uh, any other markets. So just how big is the sector here in Australia and how has it grown? Has, has it become more popular? It certainly has become more popular. Uh, it's grown in about 20 regions across the country, but the real powerhouse areas for Australia are in northeastern Victoria and in the Murray Valley sort of area of Victoria as well. Uh, those businesses have invested enormous amounts of money in the variety itself and in the tourism that goes along with it. But um, in terms of the national picture, It has grown from about a $60 million annual production in 2017 up to about $205 million today. So we've seen substantial growth. Anyone who's been into a restaurant or a pub or a cafe recently with a wine list would have seen Prosecco on the the list, whereas they probably wouldn't have seen it 10 years ago. Consumers have really embraced the varietal and businesses have invested enormous amounts of money in making sure that consumers can come and visit and taste and enjoy Prosecco along the way. So what's in a name? What's the significance of the term Prosecco? Why not just change it? Well, I think there's a couple of answers to that. So firstly, we have to take a principled approach to this sort of stuff. So great variety names, just like Prosecco, Shiraz, Chardonnay, whatever they may be, are just that. They're not regional descriptors. They are great variety names. And businesses invested in good faith uh, on the basis that they were getting that great variety name. So there is a principle here. And we see this as also a slippery slope for the industry here in Australia with the potential for other Italian varieties in particular, so varieties like Vermentino, Fiano, Sangiovese, to all be in the firing line for future similar efforts to change a variety name into a region. Uh, And it's really a protectionist method that uh, that the Italians are employing here. And in terms of the, uh, in terms of why not change it? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Uh, Aside from the principal discussion, the issue here is that for Australian producers, we'd really be starting from scratch uh, as an industry. Uh, there is no alternative name that, is, that has a sort of uh, market, uh, market understanding or penetration that anyone else has. So we want to see that Prosecco uh, is allowed to continue. We want to make sure that uh, 
the Italians can't get away with really shifting the goalposts in the middle of the game. So you're in Canberra now. How receptive has the government been to your discussions? Look, the government has been really receptive to the discussions. And today we've got a, a delegation of three prominent Prosecco producers from Victoria in Parliament House. And we're meeting with a number of different politicians from across the political spectrum. Um, while there's understanding there, uh, I think there is still an educational piece to do to make sure that people understand that it is a great variety, it's not a region, to make sure that this goes well beyond just the $205 million of annual production and goes right into that investment into things like the Prosecco Road tourism campaign in, in the King Valley, which has been so popular. So we are getting a good hearing, but we know that this is going to be one of the issues that is covered at the very last moments of the trade negotiations with the European Union. And our message to parliamentarians today is that we don't want to be used as a bargaining chip for a dodgy deal. And just finally, for consumers, for wine lovers, how do you pick a good Australian Prosecco? Well, I think there's a number of good things you can look at. The King Valley is one of the great Prosecco-producing regions in Australia. Uh, you would be doing very, very well if you're picking up a, a King Valley Prosecco. But I think there is you know, a number of different regions across the country, whether they're big companies or small companies that have embraced the variety. If you're looking for a sparkling wine over Christmas, I'd really encourage you to choose Australian and make sure it's an Australian Prosecco. Lee McLean there, the CEO of Australian Grape and Wine. That takes us to the Australian share market. It was a pretty quiet day, even though the S&P ASX 200 rose 0.6% to a five-month high, 7,181. For more on the day's market action, I spoke earlier with Catherine Alfrey from Wavestone Capital. Uh, I think we've got some really strong leads continuing in resources, uh, despite the fact that we've got you know, further COVID cases coming out of China, the market continues to buy resources on the belief that, you know, sometime in the next six to 12 months, we are going to see a China reopening story. We also have a deal announced between Qatar and China and LNG, uh, which is a long-term LNG deal, which was at attractive prices. And so you've actually seen the Asian LNG price in our market today spike. So it's up at $27 now. Can we explore more that China reopening story? Oil has been volatile of, of late. Some of it's to do with OPEC um, and production, but the other major issue is that China growth story. What's your take on yeah. China because of this COVID surge and what are the implications for investors? The implications for investors, um, we saw it a couple of weeks ago, is that it is the second largest economy in the world. So when China does reopen, a bit like what we've seen in Australia, those restrictions will open slowly and be lifted slowly, and then you'll see this sort of surge in economic activity that will occur um, as, you know, consumers go about their business day-to-day and they actually get back into um, day-to-day living. And so I think that's what people are anticipating uh, will happen over the next 12 months and trying to get ahead of it. The other broad issue with the market is uh, the moderation in the pace of interest rate rises. We've got the RBA, RBNZ meeting tomorrow. The US is looking like it may start to moderate that pace of rate rises. The RBA has already gone slower. While the worst may be over in terms of the, the aggressiveness in terms of rate rises, it's still more about where rates end up, though, isn't it? No, I think because the market, again, it looks forward. And so it's anticipating the fact that inflation has peaked, particularly on the supply side, maybe not so much yet on the demand side, with, you know, obviously interest rates will combat and slow demand for goods and services. But I think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take a bit of time. But like I said, the market anticipates these things. They think the inflation is peaking. Uh, and so therefore they're anticipating uh, that rates like 
you say we'll have to slow down from central banks around the world. And so therefore that means that it should be more positive environment for equities going forward. And just finally, given it's the last time I'll speak to you this year, I want you to look into your crystal ball. What do you think will be the key themes for investors in 2023? Well, the first will be the China reopening, definitely. That will be huge. Uh, it will also be in terms of inflation, whether or not it's sticky. So, yes, inflation's peaked, but will it be sticky above what, for example, the Reserve Bank's target range is 2 to 3%. So will it stick at 4 to 5%? And that will really depend on whether or not wages continue to uh, be you know increased by everybody. Uh, so they will be the two major uh, issues, I think. That is Catherine Alfrey there from Wavestone Capital. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.